Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in one of those intense conversations? It doesn't have to be a debate, but often is. And somebody says something really brilliant or totally ridiculous or really confusing or maybe even a little offensive. And there's this awkward silence where nobody's quite sure what to say next. Has that ever happened to you, like at Thanksgiving dinner, for example? Right? Well, if you were having that conversation on Facebook, you know, the place where good, reasonable, thoughtful political discussion often takes place, and somebody said something really brilliant or crazy, there might be an awkward pause, and some snarky person might come along and write something like this, crickets. Crickets being the sort of internet speak for that sound that fills the silence, you know, like the flies buzzing, as if to say, anyone? Anything else you want to say? We're waiting. Something to fill that awkward silence. Something like that happens in our reading today from the book of Acts. Some of you know the story. It's a wonderful story. There's a man, an Ethiopian eunuch. He's been in Jerusalem to worship. He's headed home. He's reading the scriptures and doesn't quite understand them. Meanwhile, Philip, one of the holy table waiters of the early Christian church, we met one of his friends, Stephen, last week. Philip is called by the Spirit to go and talk to the guy, accompany him, help him figure out what these words mean. So Philip asks, do you know what you're reading? And he says, I have no idea. Why don't you help? And so they have a little Bible study as they go along. And then the eunuch asks, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? It's a good question. Simple question. Seems fairly straightforward. And crickets. Philip doesn't say anything. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how long this pause lasted. All we know is that the very next thing that happens is they get out of the chariot and the man is baptized. So we can use our imaginations to fill in the gaps. I wonder if Philip had all kinds of things rattling around in his mind as he pondered the eunuch's question. What is to prevent me? What, what might stand between me and this gift that I've heard you have to offer? The problem is, for lots of reasons we don't have a lot of time to get into, any number of things could have stood in his way. I imagine Philip thinking, well, it's not really my job. I mean, I just wait tables after all. I mean, just a few days ago, I was preaching to some Samaritans, and they were really inspired, and they wanted to be baptized, but I had to call the big brothers, you know, Peter and John, the special people. They had to come down and, you know, do the thing. So, I don't, I don't think I'm allowed. What would the people back home say? You know, am I setting some kind of precedent, breaking some rule here? I'm not, I don't know, this is all new to me, new to everybody, I mean, the Holy Spirit did say that the gospel was going to go to the ends of the earth, but 
Ethiopia, you think that might be a little too far, a little too fast? Are we really ready? Is he ready? I mean, I don't know anything about Ethiopia. Is there anybody back home who can help him live these promises, be baptized? I mean, it's not like just a one little dip in the water and it's all done. I don't know. And so he ponders any number of questions that could stand between him and this eunuch. After all, the Bible says some stuff about eunuchs, and it's a little bit awkward. Not totally sure if this is okay. All we know is that the very next thing that happens is the eunuch tests the waters a bit, literally. He stops and he climbs out of the out of the chariot. It's almost like a toddler testing boundaries, you know, like, hey, what happens if I just stick a toe in? Or maybe a whole foot. Anything going to happen? Anyone going to stop me? And Philip says nothing. He's baptized. He goes on his way rejoicing, and Philip is whisked away by the Holy Spirit. And we never hear from him again. What is to prevent me? Philip has nothing to say. Unless he does. See, this is what's interesting. If you were Baptists instead of Lutherans, you would have brought your Bible with you to church. And I'm going to keep saying that, by the way, until some of you bring your Bibles to church. (laughs) And if you had your Bible with you, you would see that in chapter 8 of verse 30... Trust me, you guys can't see this, but it's up here, I promise. You would see that verse 38 says, you know, the Ethiopian says, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? That's verse 36, okay? And the very next thing that happens is he commanded the chariot to stop in verse 38. It's as if the editors can't count. There is literally no verse 37. It's just not there. Now, if you had a good Bible, you would see that there's a little footnote. And you'd go down to the bottom and the footnote says this. Other ancient authorities add all or most of verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, You may. And the Ethiopian replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they get out of the chariot and he's baptized. Now this kind of thing happens often in in Scripture. There's lots of different sources, lots of different manuscripts. Nobody knows exactly what the right answer is. But what we hear from this is that at some point along the journey of the Scriptures becoming the Bible, there was some discrepancy there of how this event was remembered. Did Philip respond with awkward silence and then just go through with the baptism? Or did Philip ask some kind of confession, some kind of creed? After all, some of our ancestors may very well have pondered that surely this gift can't be given that freely. There must be some question, some limitation, some boundary, some sort of I don't know, membership card? There can't be that, that much freedom to anybody getting in the water and being baptized. And indeed, 2,000 years later, we still have these conversations. Every generation has had to wrestle with, are there limits? Are there boundaries? Are there, how do we know? Who's in? Who's out? And how do we figure it out? And at some point along the journey, somebody said, there must have been something. And so verse 37 just drops in. 
Now, I know enough about the rest of Scripture to wonder if indeed this was ever a part of the conversation. Because in my understanding of the word grace, and indeed baptism, God's promises made real in the waters of life, is all about grace. If grace has limitations or conditions, then it is no longer grace. Right? If, if grace comes with strings attached, it's, it's not grace. The waters of life are given freely by the only one who can give them. And so I, I believe Philip may have paused, and it may have been awkward for a bit. But then, in answer to the Ethiopian's question, what is to prevent me from being baptized? Well, the only answer is nothing. Nothing at all. For there are no limits to God's grace. And so I wonder if you would ponder for a moment what your 37 might be. What stands between you and the waters of God's grace? What threatens to prevent you from living fully as baptized, as a beloved child of God? Limits that you have placed on that gift yourself or that have been placed by others? Be it your fears or your doubts or anxieties or questions, your sense of lack of not being smart enough or not knowing enough or believing enough. Maybe questions about your identity, concerns about your past, stories that dog you in the present, illnesses, grief, heavy stories, addictions. What, what is it that stands between you and God's love for you, God's promise to hold you close, to give you God's very life forever? My invitation for you is to let the waters of baptism this day and always, kick verse 37 to the curb. Wash it away. For indeed nothing, nothing at all, can stand between us and God's love for us. Back when I was learning how to be a pastor, and God knows I'm still learning, I was a chaplain in a hospital for three months. It's part of what you do. I was in a hospital on the south side of Chicago. One night I got a call that every, you know, a lot of my colleagues had. It's unfortunately not very uncommon. A family had come into labor and delivery. A mom, super excited, a family ready to welcome this baby full term. Everything was fine. And something happened. And this little baby girl was born and never breathed outside the womb. Died before life really began. And so they called the chaplain, and I was on call. And so I went, and we talked for a bit, and we prayed. And, and then the dad looked at me, and he said, Will you baptize our baby girl? Now, I was new at this. I was not a pastor yet. I was still learning. There were a lot of questions about that question. Any number of things that started whirring around in my head. It's, it's a hard thing to know how to respond. Because there are any number of good reasons to say no. 
the big one being Christian people don't baptize the dead. That's a big debate, actually, in the Christian world. But we don't baptize the dead. This is a gift of God's grace for the living. Even if that life isn't very long, it's, it's for the living. I, I didn't have permission to do this. I wasn't a, their pastor, part of the church. I, it, there was all this stuff going in my head. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit is a lot smarter than I am and a lot more quick-witted. And so there was a moment of hesitation, hopefully not long enough to be noticed or at least not to lead to any despair. And I simply said, of course. So I went to the chaplain's office and I got a little sterile water, which is what we use for those circumstances, although not exactly necessary in this case. But I wanted it to be as normal as normal could be under the circumstances. And a little vial of oil that we use And we prayed and we read scripture and I held that baby girl and I poured the water three times and I said, Susie Jean, child of God, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I placed my hand on her tiny little head and I said, sustain her with the gift of the Holy Spirit. I traced the sign of the cross in fragrant oil, the same oil we use when we anoint the dead and the dying. Susie Jean, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, marked with the cross of Christ forever. And then we prayed the prayers that we pray at the commendation of those who have died. The prayers we pray when someone has completed their baptismal journey. And there were any number of reasons why I could have and maybe should have said no. But in that moment, it was absolutely the right thing to do. I believe that, and will always believe that. It was, by the way, my first baptism ever. And I hold that little girl always. And I remember that. Any time this question might ever come up, here is water. Here is the gift of God's grace and love and life. What is to prevent me from being baptized. What could possibly stand between you, between me, between anyone, and this holy, eternal gift of God's unconditional grace? And the answer is and will always be absolutely nothing. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.